Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Steve Toltz. His first novel, A Fraction of the Whole, was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize and the Guardian First Book Award. His new book is Here Goes Nothing, which is published by our friends at Melville House. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. It is a tremendous honor to have you here. And Steve, I'm going to dive right into this excellent novel. It is so good. Uh, I think we could spend a whole podcast just on the introductory section if we wanted to. Um, But you open this book, the narrator opens this book by stating, now that I'm dead, I dwell on this kind of thing a lot. How often I made life choices to avoid the disapproval of those who hadn't even noticed me standing there. How I longed to be liked by the very people I disliked in case finding me objectionable was contagious and would spread throughout the general population, end quote. And Steve, my question is, more generally, how many people do you think move through life like this, worrying about people who have never and who will never think about them? And more specifically, what do these traits tell us about your narrator? I think everybody does, um, to some extent, worries about the opinions of other people and then change their behaviours accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like we've internalised the, you know, the um, the observer effect in in in, in physics. But um, you know, I think that it had probably an evolutionary purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, we we lived in small communities, and if you uh, got the disapproval of your group, you would be exiled and exile meant death. Mm. Um, but we carried these things into our daily lives in contemporary society. And, um, and whatever that was has been probably magnified sort of a, a, a zillion times by social media. Um, and yeah, so I, um, I would say that my narrator and everybody, other character in the novel is, uh, does have a, a view of themselves um, as being, you know, making choices basically based on what other people think of them. Yeah. And Steve, do you think this kind of inclination comes with like a subconscious desire to be invisible? Like maybe if you were noticed, it's because you've done something wrong. Yeah. I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I think we just kind of want, approval and we and it's also uh, a sort of self-centeredness mm. you know you think that people are observing you you think that you know what you do matters more mm. than it actually does you know just from the from a teenager who has a pimple that thinks that's all everybody is ever looking at mm-hmm. um you know that can spiral that's why there are so many you know we're we're in a phase of um, self-help books that have come out, which is, you know, like the subtle art of not giving a yeah. F uh-huh. and um, you know, there's a whole um, yeah, there's a whole genre of books that sort of acknowledge this fact that we care too much, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, and then there's an aspect to it where um, we sort of outsource the, the, 
our locus of control, you know, to we have where we blame other people and, and, you know, this kind of like fat shaming and the culture has made me feel this way. And, you know, we want to change how other people make us feel, but we want to change their behavior. Yeah. We want to change the words that they use. We want to change the way that they look at us. And, you know, if somebody, whether as a parent, you know, if somebody disapproves of the way we parent, that's their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just taking some responsibility and going, well, maybe I have some influence on how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. And um, speaking of the self-help book that you mentioned, I'll, I'll let you know, you do not have to worry about uh, censorship and explicit content on this podcast, okay. as will soon become obvious. Um, a paragraph later in your introduction, the narrator states, why exactly was I so uninterested in touching a dick? So what if I was heterosexual? Don't mess most vegetarians eat fish, end quote. And Steve, is this the type of regret you think most people would have upon dying and realizing that yes, the afterlife does exist. And what does touching a dick as a heterosexual have to do with vegetarians eating fish? I think um, at the end of, you know, they, they, there's always that thing of like, when, you know, when you're lying on your deathbed, you'll never, you know, you wish you spend more time with your family. Maybe, you know, I think we've all, we think we all spend more or less enough time with our families. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, we're wildly conservative in what we, what we do. And, you know, I mean, you know, the idea of bucket lists is a, is a, is an interesting thing. It's like, um, or somewhere later in the book, uh, a, one character asks the narrator is like, um, you know, what did you like to do um, for fun? And his, his reaction is, well, I never sort of put a specific time and a place for having fun. I just tried to generally live that way. And it's sort of, you know, I, I think we're saving, we're sort of saving ourselves for, for another time. And I, I think it's just a reflection of that is like, why aren't we wildly, you know, we know we're going to die. We know life is finite. Why aren't we running around crazily at all times, just mm-hmm. trying and tasting everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, I want to talk about the next line, and we will not do the whole podcast on your introduction, but listeners, I wasn't kidding when I said we could. Uh, the next line, Steve reads, and why was I so convinced that every supernatural belief was just an embarrassing throwback to a pre-scientific age? End quote. Uh, Steve, my question for you is, where do you, Steve Toltz, stand on this question of supernatural beliefs and where does the world stand do you think in comparison to where it was say 100 years ago um, i've probably softened and changed my stance a little bit i definitely was you know a few years ago was still was in that kind of um dawkins hitchens atheist camp mm-hmm. um I definitely in my twenties had some enjoyed arguing with religious fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of moved over to a vaguely agnostic stance. I, I think there's um, interesting ideas like panpsychism and, you know, that consciousness is pervasive in the universe, but I'm absolutely certain it, it that anything that entails a continuation of the self 
Mm-hmm. Anything that entails an I, a me, my intact memories uh, are incredibly unlikely um, mm-hmm. to be a part of it. Because, you know, I was sort of like, you know, I'm a very pro-science person, but sometimes you look at what science doesn't know and it's jaw-dropping, you know, and you hear things like, you know, you read scientific magazines about dark matter and then you read the fine print and you realise, oh, dark matter is just a, just a phrase that they've used for this thing they don't understand. It's not matter mm-hmm. that is dark. It's just they just don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what consciousness is. We have no idea what, you know, what began the universe. We don't know any of the really fundamental stuff. So I guess my position is I enjoy the, the mystery over the miracle. Mm. So I'm happy not knowing. I'm, I'm happy sitting comfortably with the idea that we don't know. Our, our puny little brains won't really be able to work it out. Um mm. And I'm against the idea that, you know, we, we, we must find an answer and pick one thing. I mean, I think we really uh, do an injustice to the, you know, one of the greatest gifts humans have, which is our imaginations mm. by going, okay, it's, you know, it's ghosts, it's heaven, it's hell, it's God who's a guy, you know, floating around. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I think that, it could be a million different things. And the fun is um, coming up with those, those ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think the afterlife is a concept that was created for people who cannot wrap their brains around the idea that death is a true end? Yeah, I, I do think that the, um, you know, the burden of, consciousness that humans have achieved is that we're aware of our own mortality unlike most other animals Mm -hmm. and that we live we go through life um fearing death on an unconscious level and yeah we got to reach for um we got to reach for meaning um and otherwise it's um it's it's terrifying yeah thank you so much steve um all right chapter one a strange man knocks on the character Gracie's door. Gracie, presumably at this moment, is the narrator's wife. Uh, Gracie stirs out of bed. Her husband isn't there, and this seems to be a regular occurrence that he is not there. Gracie answers the door and says, what do you want, my money or my time? Steve, is this an acceptable response to this type of situation? And what is more valuable, money or time? Hmm. Yeah, I've always liked... um the Dorothy Parker's way of answering the phone where she's like, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> I think, I think uh, that, um, you know, if a stranger comes to your door, they really want one of those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, usually or often both. Um, so what is more important money or time? Well, time, time is the, is, is the resource that just keeps running out. Yeah, for sure. Um, Thank you, Steve. Would you like to take a moment before our break to set your novel up further for our listeners? Yeah, so um, Gracie and Angus Mooney are um, uh, kind of newlyweds. They've lived a couple of years in this house that Gracie herself bought and, um, you know, trying to get pregnant. Um, 
struggling financially. And then this man appears at the door uh, saying that he's dying, that he grew up in that house and he would very much like to die and spend his last dying days in his childhood bedroom. Um, and Gracie kind of uh, lets him in and things go from there and take a kind of a dark turn. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, listeners, we're going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor. And then I'll be right back with Steve Toltz. The Book and Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM allows you to buy audiobooks directly through your favorite local independent bookstore like Explore Booksellers. You continue to put money back into your local economy and help local bookstores thrive. Please navigate to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your local independent bookstores in the process. I'm back with Steve Toltz, author of Here Goes Nothing, which is published by our friends at Melville House. Steve, uh, before the break, we were talking about Gracie and her visitor. Her visitor says that he used to live in Gracie's house. He's hoping to look around. At one moment, he asks to see the bedrooms, and she agrees to let him, albeit begrudgingly. She then imagines that he is in the bedroom masturbating onto her pillows and that he will leave when he is done. Why, Steve? Is this the first place where her brain goes? He could be doing so many other things back there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, letting a strange man in your house who wanders off the street, uh, I think Gracie's, you know, Gracie's kind of uh, somebody who's lived a bit of life and she definitely knows what creeps there are out there. So that's just something that she's, she's imagining. Um, yeah. She's probably doubting herself for having let him in. Mm. Yeah. And that's a perfectly um, logical doubt. I think, well, at one moment uh, it occurs to Gracie that this man Owens grin is bogus and she sees this as a red flag. Uh, why is this a red flag to her and what is her logic here? Well, when you meet someone for the first time, you shouldn't be able to tell that their smile is fake. Right. I think that, uh, you know, I mean, I can tell when uh, the people I know really well, people in my family, when they're kind of doing a fake grin, because I know them well, I've seen their fake grin, I've seen their real grin, I know the difference. But when hmm. a stranger comes to you and you can tell that their smile is inauthentic, it is definitely a red flag. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Um, next, Steve, I would like to ask you to unpack a statement for me. And that statement is, newlyweds are refugees fleeing a single life. Yeah, I think that anyone who's been single for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wants to be in a couple, just as like uh, often people in couples want to be single. Um and it is my observation that when people get married, it is often because they've thought, they've decided it is the time in their life to get married and they want to break, they don't want to be single anymore. 
Mm. They just want to be off the market. They don't want to be in the market. Mm. They don't want to be dealing with it's sort of it is sort of a an exhausting prospect to be continually in temporary situations just like renting um is is exhausting like when you when you rent or share house or have roommates and um to sort of finally buying and living on your own or you know i think that just the 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 nature of of a temporary of an interlocking series of temporary situations is kind of emotionally and existentially exhausting yeah thank you um are you married steve i was married i am no longer ah there you go all right yeah. well thank you so much um i would next like to ask you about satanists uh what are satanists who are satanists and what is what are their motivations <laughs> well i i mean there are groups of satanists it's uh -huh. hard to tell if they are joking or not mm -hmm. um there's a great, I, I can't remember. There's a great documentary about these Satanists who, who managed to get their, I don't know, flag up on some government building. Um, mm. Yeah, I think they are people that, well, I mean, the most sincere, let's take them at their words. They, you know, they, they believe in Satan and they uh, swear their allegiance to him. But mm. I think it's mostly uh, an act of rebellion. Yeah, it would have to be. I mean, once you follow the logic, um, <clears throat> it raises all kinds of interesting questions, I suppose. I will look up that documentary. I am, I'm not aware of it, but it sounds very interesting to me. Um, well, thank you, Steve. Um, our time here is running short, and I have to tell you, Steve and listeners, this book is fantastic. Every single page is packed with sentences that you could base a whole podcast on. It was hard to pick and choose which ones to talk about, um, but I loved it. And I will not be surprised, Steve, to see another prize nomination in your future. Uh, my final question involves another statement that I would like for you to unpack. And that statement is, spirituality is a gussied up form of self-obsession. Unpack this for us, please, Steve. Well, there's a section of the book in which I, um, I told the story of the narrator's childhood through his various encounters with people who have different beliefs, mm -hmm. from beliefs in, you know, in aliens and UFOs to beliefs in um, premonitions and, you know, the kind of person who will tell you that they predicted something in a dream last night mm -hmm. or that they themselves feel at the center of some, um, I guess, cosmic story, mm -hmm. um, you know? Uh, and so I feel that yeah, there's another similar line in the book, which is that um, something like uh, wishing upon a star is a self of, uh, is a form of self aggrandizement. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just the way that, people can center themselves in some kind of cosmic story. It's a form of solipsism. Mm -hmm. um, and it's another way, again, reflecting on 
our unconscious fear of death to it's sort of a bid for specialness, you know, in order to sort of say, you know, I'm, I'm important and, you know, I can see this, I can see the spirit world that, you know, I know the meaning of things. Um, it's also a reflection of, um, our, again, something from the evolutionary past of like, you know, we, uh, we're, we're pattern seeking creatures because, you know, to not know that, um, you know, if there was, if we were walking through the grass and there's some wind blew the leaves, it's either the wind or it's a tiger. And if you think it's, uh, if you guess it's a, the wind, you might get eaten and die. So we try to draw connections with between everything and that has left us making uh, a lot of wild and incorrect assumptions about the world yeah thank you steve and i really appreciate the narrator's um responses to these folks who are having these dreams that place themselves at the center uh, of the universe um it's very good and really thank you steve for writing this wonderful book. And listeners, as you can tell from the conversation, there is a lot of weighty kind of big question topics in this book, but it's written with such wit and such humor that is, it just makes for a fantastic, wonderful read. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Listeners, I've been speaking with Steve Toltz, author of Here Goes Nothing, which is published by our friends at Melville House. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much. That was a really fun conversation. Once again, I would like to thank Steve Toltz for joining me. Copies of Here Goes Nothing can be ordered at www.explorebooksellers.com. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN. That's B-O-O. K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries and this has been Bookin'.